Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program featuring reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda. Our show is sponsored by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will interview Taylor Tripodi from the First Friday Club. We will also hear more about the life of St. Justin Martyr and the readings for this Pentecost Sunday. That and more on Wineskins. In our current issue today, we will hear from Bill Joyce on Curcio. Joining me again is Bill Joyce, who is the lay director for the Curcio movement here in the Diocese of Youngstown. Welcome back to Wineskins. Thank you, Father. It's great to be here. You know, Bill, last time you were here, you told us about an upcoming women's weekend for Curcio, and we certainly thank the women who participated in that, and for those many people of the Curcio movement who helped put that on. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was a wonderful event. Yes. What I'd like us to talk about today is kind of the history and the purpose of the Curcio. We know that it came from Mallorca. Give us briefly a, in a nutshell about that. Curcio was started by Eduardo Bonin and Father uh, Sebastian Gaius in the 40s in Spain on an island, Mallorca. It really was designed to be a weekend that brought people closer to Christ. And the word Curcio means short course or little course. The full title of Curcio is Curcio de Cristianad, and it's basically a movement of the laity within the Catholic Church. You know, what I'd like us to kind of segue into is when these weekends happen, wherever that is, there's got to be some kind of follow-up because people yes. are energized. Sure. They really want to talk about the faith and share the faith. Mm-hmm. What happens after that? That's the great thing about Curcio. The, the movement you know, starts with a weekend. It begins with this weekend, which is three days. But then following that, there are two ways that people can get together regularly to talk about their faith, their piety, their study, their action. The first way is called a group reunion, mm-hmm. and that's an informal gathering of maybe three to five people, and they decide when they want to meet. It could be every week, every other week. It could be once a month. It's whatever they want to do. But they talk about their spiritual life. Mm-hmm. The second way is called an altrea, and altrea in Spanish means onward. And it's a way for these small group of unions of three to five people to get together with other small groups regularly and then they encourage each other and talk about their spirituality. Now, here in the Youngstown Diocese, we have several group reunions that are going, and then we all get together for the Altrea on the second Thursday of the month at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Basilica, downtown Youngstown. And we meet in the church basement starting at 7 o'clock. And we're only there for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. So it's, it's short, it's brief. But it's a chance to get everybody together again, and it's very encouraging. You know, it's interesting. Last time you were with us, you spoke and you mentioned how the bishop, Bishop Bonner, Mm -hmm. encouraged small group gatherings. This is really a wonderful opportunity for people who've made the Curcio weekend to get together to kind of continue that movement and that development of the spirit within them. Yes. Why are small groups really kind of a, a wonderful microcosm of what that's all about in the larger church? Well, I can share by uh, what I'm currently doing, and that is our small group. We started after our Curcio in 1995. We've been meeting for 25 years every other week. And what we do in our small group is to share what have we been studying? What are we reading? A lot of us have been doing the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmidt. 
which is a, you know, a, a great uh, podcast. And then what are we doing in our community? What are we doing back at our home parishes? And that's the beauty of Crescio as well, because a lot of folks go back to their parish and they become much more active. They become lectors. They become Eucharistic ministers, lay leaders of prayer. They really get involved with the church. And I can tell you, after I made my Crescio weekend, I got involved with the Knights of Columbus and, you know, so many other things at the parish. That's really the wonderful thing about it. There's this ongoing continuation and you get that same feeling of being with everybody and sharing your spirituality. Let's say that the folks that are with us really never heard about Crescio or want to learn more about Crescio. Where do they go? Basically, they can just go to our website, which is youngstowncurcio.com, or they can send me an email at youngstowncurcio at gmail.com. And again, Curcio is spelled C-U-R-S-I-L-L-O. So again, youngstowncurcio at gmail.com. Now, let's say that there's someone there that's really struggling. Should I give up three days to do this? What's the benefit of putting oneself in the Curcio movement. I think you will find that most everyone who's ever made that Curcio week and spent those three days will tell you that it changed their life. It's something you will never forget. You will find that you've learned so much in this short course about your faith and things you never knew and ways to approach your faith that it will become very important to you. As you mentioned, your parents had, had done their Casillo back in the 1960s, and it's something I'm sure they never forgot. Well, and the other thing is that it created lasting friendships. Yes, yes. And, you know, friendships will last a lifetime. Exactly. And, the, and it's those relationships that really kind of keep the faith going and celebrated. So Bill Joyce, lay director for the Casillo movement here in the Diocese of Youngstown, thank you for your work, and thank you for encouraging us to look at our faith in a new and exciting way, especially gathering in small groups subsequent to Curcio weekends. So thank you very much for your work. Thank you, Father. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. The Feast of St. Justin Martyr is celebrated on June 1st. To tell us more about this holy man is Brother Joshua Seidel. He is from the Society of St. Paul in Canfield. This feast appeared in the Roman calendar for the first time in 1882 and it is celebrated on the same date in the Byzantine and Maronite churches, having been transferred from the arbitrary dates of April 14. Justin was born of Roman or Greek parents at the beginning of the second century. In his studies, he consulted various philosophies, but at Ephesus, he met a wise man who directed him to the study of the Old Testament. He was told, you are a lover of beautiful speech, but you are certainly not a friend of action or of truth. He converted to Christianity around the year 130 and went to Rome. There he opened a school. Many of the early Christians were uneducated, but Justin believed that if a Christian teachings were properly explained, many more persons would embrace the faith. It is our duty, he said, to make known our doctrine. Only three of his written books have come down to us. He is among the first to describe in detail for non-believers the rite of baptism and the Eucharistic liturgy. At his execution, six other Christians were martyred with him, five men and one woman. The opening prayer of Mass is derived from that of 1882, and it delineates the character of this philosopher martyr, as Tertullian referred to him. There are two themes in the prayer, of which the first is that of the folly of the cross God taught Justin, sublime wisdom of Jesus Christ. During his court trial, when asked which system of teaching he followed, 
Justin replied, I have tried to learn about every system, but I have accepted the true doctrine of the Christians. When threatened with torture, Justin replied, I hope to suffer the torment for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so be saved. In the second theme of the opening prayer is that we too should reject falsehood and remain loyal to the faith. As an intellectual, Justin was a searcher of truth, and he was converted as a result of following the advice of the venerable old man to study the Old Testament. The antiphon for the Canticle of Mary in the Liturgy of the Hours quotes the words of Justin. Suddenly, my soul caught fire, and I became filled with love for the prophets and those who are the friends of Christ. Justin's defense of truth was not based on the philosophical argument supported by the reason, but on the moral implication of truth. Yet he was perhaps the first person to build a bridge between the pagan philosophy and the Christian teachings. By means of his writings, he was able to dialogue with the pagans and the Jews, endeavoring to show that the complete revelation of truth has come through the incarnation of the Word. In the prayers over the gifts, reference is made to the liturgical mysteries which St. Justice vigorously defended. He not only defended them, he explained them in great detail in order to silence those who spread false rumors about Christians because they celebrated their liturgy secretly. Justin looked upon the defense of the Christian teachings as a preparation for the gospel. He is perhaps the first writer after St. Paul to grasp the universal implications of Christianity. For Wineskins, Brother Joshua Seidel. Joining me today is Taylor Tripodi, who is a musician, singer, songwriter, who was recently at our First Friday Club. Welcome to Wineskins. Thank you so much, Father. You know, Taylor, what I love about your presentation is your title. And it really basically comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians 13.13. The greatest of these is... And we always say love, but yours is the greatest of these is hope. Why hope? I know. It's so funny. I was telling my husband about this t- this title before it came here, and he was like, ah, does that make sense? I'm like, well, let me just explain this. So I think one of the things that has really struck me, I don't know if you know, do you know who Father Jacques Philippe is? I do. I mm-hmm. love his mm-hmm. books. I mm-hmm. love his writings. But he talks about how love builds on hope. Mm-hmm. And so... I kind of look around at the world that we live in today, and there's just a lot of darkness. And one thing that Father Jacques Philippe mentions, which I'm going to mention a little bit in my talk and my presentation, is that without hope, love grows cold and love grows stale. In fact, love oftentimes cannot grow and even exist in an environment where there's no hope. And so obviously we know that the theological virtues, they build on each other. And of course, The greatest is love, obviously, because otherwise the Lord would not say that. But I really want to emphasize that virtue of hope just at this time where it feels like there's a lot of chaos in our world. And I think that hopefully, um, hopefully that when you create an environment of hope and when you instill hope in people that gives them room to love. You know, it's interesting as you were talking, the one thing that does come to my mind is that we do live kind of in a dark world at times Mm -hmm. and it's a very complex and complexing world also Mm -hmm. and how many people have no hope 
whether they're they're homeless, they're unemployed, they're underemployed, mm-hmm. they're struggling to make ends meet. And so that virtue of hope is really nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a desperation sometimes for people. What can you do through your gift and ministry of music do to bring this hope alive in people again? Yeah, so I know this sounds pretty simple. As you mentioned in the beginning, I'm a singer-songwriter, mm-hmm. and I just, I really believe that the Lord has given me this gift to instill hope in people. It's also funny, too, because I grew up in a home where my parents run a ministry, and their full-time job is Cornerstone of Hope, actually. Mm-hmm. That's their name of their ministry. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up, my brother passed away when he was three. I was six years old when that happened. And it changed my family so much. And as grief often does, as trauma often does. And so I've just seen how God can take something super horrible. And even like, it seems like there is no hope at the time. And he can just through his grace and through his goodness, he can transform that and he can bring something very beautiful out of it. The Easter season, which is important part of who we are Mm -hmm. as Christians that we celebrate, really does kind of remind us through the resurrection of Jesus that we are people of hope. Mm -hmm. We are people of of faith and ultimately love. Mm -hmm. But what do you tell people through your music who just have a a hard time getting beyond the struggles of this world Mm -hmm. because we all have issues, we all have struggles, but yet there's that light at the end of the tunnel. How do we keep our eyes focused on that light? Yeah, so I think one of the songs that I've written, well, you know, I kind of try to weave that theme of hope throughout a lot of my music, but one song in particular, it's based on a lot of the spirituality of St. Therese, which is just Mm -hmm. trust, like childlike Mm -hmm. trust. And I think a lot of times when you're in the pits of despair, there's really nothing left for you to do but just kind of surrender a little bit and just Mm -hmm. trust. And so I feel like, and I'm not sure if that hopefully that answers the question but when you're trying to get through something really difficult it kind of leaves you or at least my dad always would say it like brings you to your knees you know and my dad always says um, when God brings you to your knees you stay there right you stay on your knees and you look up and so I think like really through my music and through you know my own encouragement to other people would be to simply just like trust in the Lord and just allow yourself to get to your knees which you probably already are there if you're really in a desperate place but just to stay there and allow the Lord to guide you through that and to let that be a moment of childlike trust. You know I love that image about being on your knees because it reminds me of, and you've been to Israel, I I understand, Mm -hmm. the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. The door is very low, so you, you literally have to get on your knees to kind of crawl through. And I think the reason it was built that way is to Mm -hmm. keep the marauders from entering the sacred space of the church on their horses, which they have done to disrupt services. And so it brings us to our knees. This birth Mm -hmm. of the Savior really brings us on our knees. And that is the only stance that we have before God, is to bow down, is to be on our knees, is to surrender. And I love that image that you mentioned, surrender everything to him. Mm -hmm. Because once you do that, then you can feel yourself being filled up with hope absolutely in, in the spirit family obviously 
has a lot of influence for you because you come from a large family. So talk about your family for a few minutes. Oh my goodness. Well, growing up, for those of you who don't know, I'm the oldest of nine. And so it's pretty crazy. And I would even say in like the most, in most people's circles, like nine kids is still a lot, I would (laughs) say. And yeah, it has a way of just, I don't know, like the chaos oftentimes like is somehow beautiful because (laughs) I just think like, yeah, my siblings have taught me a lot about that childlike trust that I was mentioning mm-hmm. earlier. And in fact, they actually inspired that song that I mentioned. But yeah, it has a way of just like, I don't know, making you <laughs> look at life differently, um, look at life in a new way. And I think my family has definitely influenced my faith as well. My parents are both, after the death of my brother, they just had a pretty decent conversion and reversion, I guess I could say, back to the faith. And through that, I guess our whole family life changed. We would do as much as we could, you know, rosaries every day. And that really changed kind of my life growing up and just made me definitely made me appreciate my family a lot because I know that family life is really difficult in any size family, right? But I think through even just the craziness of our family, but even through that craziness, it somehow brought us close together through our faith, through our trust in God. And that was like really the foundation of a lot of my own faith and journey of life. We have our first baby and I'm hoping that God will bless us with more children in the future, but I'm hoping to instill those same things in my family as my husband and I raise our children is just that the value of having a faith in Christ, and hopefully that will be a foundation for their life as well. So, well, Taylor yeah. Tripodi, it's been a pleasure to have you on Wineskins today. Thank you. Thank you for your music ministry, for your gift of song that enlightens and inspires people. We look forward to you on our show again in a couple months and to hear more about your wonderful work. And God bless you in your ministry and in your career and especially with your new baby. Thank you. I appreciate it. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The annual Diocesan Appeal, One in Hope, One in Mission, is the primary activity of raising funds to help the clients of Catholic Charities throughout the Diocese of Youngstown, as well as supporting the many ministries and activities of our Diocesan Church. This year's goal is $4 million. While that seems like a very vast amount, it is an attainable goal when everyone throughout our Diocesan community recognizes the way in which God has blessed them and offers whatever resources possible, coming from all of our parishes across our six counties, to truly be a people of charity, a people of hope, a people of mission. I thank you for your gift to the annual appeal, and I hope that together we might all continue to be one in hope and one in mission, building up the life of the church and building up the presence of Christ for all in need. God bless you. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Our song today is by the Daughters of St. Paul. It is from their CD entitled, Handmaiden of the Lord.
has mercy in every generation. He has revealed his power and his glory. He has cast down the mighty in their arrogance and has lifted up the meek and the lowly. He has come to help his servant, Israel. He remembers his promise to our fathers. Our scripture reflections for this Pentecost Sunday will be by Father Matthew Rorig. He is from the Society of St. Paul in Canfield. Pentecost is one of the three most important feasts of the church year. We know Christmas is one of the three. It's easy to get excited about the birth of a baby, especially when the baby is God's son and his mother is the Virgin Mary. We know that the feast of Jesus' resurrection is the most important feast of all because if there were no resurrection, we would have no faith or hope at all. But Pentecost, the third most important feast, seems like another ordinary Sunday. Let me give you a little history of Pentecost. It was not invented by the church. The Jews were celebrating Pentecost about 3,000 years ago. The word itself means simply 50th, the 50th day after Passover. It was originally a harvest feast on which the first fruits were offered in gratitude to God. It was one of the three most important feasts for the Jews 3,000 years ago. It later came to be celebrated as the anniversary of the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Jews were celebrating that feast when the Spirit came on Jesus' followers. It was 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And so we still celebrate the coming of the Spirit 50 days after Easter. Pentecost wasn't just a big event for the first followers of Jesus. It is important for us, too, because the Holy Spirit is important in our lives today. Symbols help us picture the Holy Spirit, symbols such as a dove or tongues of fire. But like the wind, the Holy Spirit can be known by us only by what the Spirit does. We must not think that the Spirit wasn't around before Pentecost. The Spirit was always, because the Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. The Old Testament speaks frequently of God's ruah, a word that sometimes means breath, sometimes wind, sometimes air, or sometimes spirit. It was God's ruah that brought life and order out of chaos at the beginning of creation. In the New Testament, the work of the Spirit is more clearly defined. For example, at the Annunciation, Mary was told she would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that same Holy Spirit shows up frequently during the life of Jesus. One of the things the Spirit did on Pentecost was to give the apostles courage and a special gift of tongues so that they would be able to preach about Jesus. Thus, we rightfully call Pentecost the birthday of the church because when they started to preach, many people were converted to Christ. The coming of the Spirit at Pentecost was just the beginning of the Spirit's work in the church, and that same Spirit was given to each of us through the reception of the sacraments, especially baptism and confirmation. Even in the Eucharist, the Spirit is at work, 
consecrating the bread and wine we will receive as the body of Christ. In a personal way, the Spirit may give us courage and strength to witness to our faith by our words and by our lives, as it did the apostles. But it may affect us in other ways, too. For example, in Galatians, Paul tells us if we live by the Spirit, the Spirit will produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. The Spirit makes us constantly aware of God's presence with us and God's love for us. The Spirit helps the Scriptures come alive for us because through them God speaks to us. And it is in this love for God and for each other that we do experience the joy and peace promised in Galatians. If Pentecost is the third most important feast in the church, how are we to celebrate it? What should today be for us? First, it is a day to thank God for the church, which led us to know Christ. Second, it is a day to thank God for the faith that allows each of us to say, Jesus is Lord, for without the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to believe. Third, it is a day to thank God for the gifts the Spirit gives us, especially the gift of love. And fourth, it is a day to thank God for sharing His Spirit with us, the Spirit whom we call the Lord and giver of life in the creed which we are about to proclaim. For Wineskins, I'm Father Matthew Rory. Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. But in the next breath, Jesus commanded his apostles and gave them their holy task. As long as they drew breath, they were to announce the good news of forgiveness. And that mission is still ours today. It should be as normal and as crucial as breathing in and breathing out. Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda, wishing you a blessed Sunday and a safe Memorial Day week. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.